words about the seven feasts of Israel. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Zola Levitt Live. Uh, tonight we have a kind of unusual show. My students are here indeed from Dallas Baptist College, where I've been giving a course called Christ in the Old Testament. And the first semester of the course, or the, the fall of uh, 1980, we have taken up uh, the seven feasts of Israel. And it seemed to me, I didn't know, you know, I hadn't taught this at a college before. I often speak on it in churches. But uh, I didn't know how the students would pick it up, and they are very good. And I'm going to have you match wits with them. If you, if, uh, you folks at home would like to, uh, we're going to be in Leviticus 23. All seven feasts of Israel are given in Leviticus 23. And you can uh, uh, match your wits with the students and see if you can uh, get this as well as they have. This is uh, just proof that anyone can learn it. Uh, we wanted to have this show to, to, to uh, kind of demonstrate that you don't have to be Jewish nor raised in the synagogue to understand this kind of learning. Uh, it's available at uh, Dallas Baptist College or any... Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's available at any seminary. It's, it's kind of an imaginative course. And uh, uh, anyway, at, at Dallas Baptist College, you, you can take the course. By the way, I wanted to tell you that uh, you folks in the Metroplex or near enough by to get to Dallas uh, Baptist College. I teach it every Tuesday night, and the second semester will start January 13th, 1981. So uh, between now and then, call uh, Dallas Baptist College if you'd like to register, and uh, you'll see today on the show, I think, uh, how much knowledge that you can get in a course like this. And if you can be with us, why, uh, you're invited. To, they, they have a, uh, a special arrangement for the community to attend the college. You don't have to be a college student uh, or working on a degree. You can come out for one course if you like. Now, our offering is in keeping with the subject. Uh, tonight we have the, the book, The Seven Feasts of Israel, which is one of the ones that uh, people just write in for constantly. This book explains Passover and Pentecost and trumpets and all of the exciting uh, feasts and their types and their prophetic fulfillments. Uh, with it, we're offering the cassette tape this time. We often have people write to us and ask if we make tapes. We sure do uh, on all the subjects that we do. And uh, uh, if you like to study by tape instead of by book or if you'd like a, a supplement, uh, to the studies, then you have the book and tape together. For that, we need a $10 donation. We'll send you the book and the tape. You can get them at the post office box, 12268, Dallas, Texas, 75225. Uh, also available from uh, our post office box is the Levitt letter, and I wanted particularly to get this issue out and show it to you on camera. Uh, it's called Friendship Russian Style, and if we can get a close shot of this map, I'd like to show you our, our theory of what's going on. This just won't wait. There's a hot war now started between uh, Syria and Jordan. Uh, there's one still going on between Iraq and Iran. The Russians, of course, are still in Afghanistan. They did not go home because we refused to play in their summer games. And uh, uh, we, we just took a map of the Middle East, if you can see it framed here. And Russia stands uh, over to this side, above the Middle Eastern area. That's what this explosion uh, signifies. Afghanistan is next. You see the tank and the explosion here. The Iraq-Iran border conflict is here, another explosion and another tank. 
Syria and Jordan have begun to argue over here. Now, at the time I'm talking to you, this has not come to shooting. Uh, it's still talking and threatening. But the point of it is, uh, uh, it seems to follow in the same line. Somebody's going to need to get in there and settle it down, uh, whether it comes to shooting or not. And I suppose that'll be the good neighbor, Russia. If you look at these explosions right in a row, they make a line. And I don't have to tell you, at the end of that map on the western edge is Israel. And these kinds of things are pointed out month after month in the Levitt letter, which is our newsletter, which I'd like you to read. If you don't even like this show, I wish you would keep up with prophecy. Uh, send for the Levitt letter at our post office box. We don't charge for it. We'd like to send it to you. Now, um, I'm going to go and greet the students here from Dallas Baptist College, and we'll take up the seven feasts of Israel. Greetings, students. <laughs> it says on the teleprompter, greet the students. How you doing, Billy? Okay. <laughs> Sylvia? Is that enough greeting of the students? I think so. Uh, I want to I show the people at home what you know. I'm going to go to the blackboard. Instead of me doing the talking today, tonight, you're going to do the talking. I'm going to do the writing, okay? So, who knows then? I bet everybody knows what the first feast of Israel is. Uh, <laughs> Passover. Okay, Passover, and I'm going to start making a chart. Let's pass the mic to somebody else and let me get a date for Passover. Jan? Fourteenth day of the first month. The fourteenth day of the first month. And the name of the month. Who knows it? Uh, Wayne? Nissan. Nissan. Nisan. Yeah, I think you have to say it into the mic. <laughs> right. The 14th day of Nisan, which is the first month on the uh, calendar, the Hebrew calendar. And that would pertain, uh, Jane, to what time of the year on, on the calendar we use? This would be spring, uh, probably uh, April. Yes, it usually occurs in April. This uh, uh, upcoming year, 1981, Passover will be on uh, April 19th. That's the 14th day of Nisan, and so April 5th would be the beginning of the year. It usually is around the spring equinox, uh, around March 21st, give or take. Okay, and, and it's because they use a, a moon calendar. The Bible is based on, with the months as the phases of the moon, rather than the Earth's revolution around the sun, which is, uh, it comes out somewhat different. Okay, Passover, and the symbol for Passover uh, is what in the Bible? It's uh, Billy. Pass Billy a mic. The lamb is the symbol of Passover. All right, and the sacrifice. We uh, we the word I want is blood because it's it's not going to be strictly a lamb in the New Testament, but the Lamb of God and and His blood. Uh, I'm going to put a symbol beside each feast so that we can kind of identify it. Billy, what did, the, what did the blood do for them in Egypt? Blood uh, saved them as they placed it over the door of each home. Uh, they were passed over uh, by the death angel. Yes, it actually saved their lives. It gave them uh, 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 more than, than, than uh, uh, redemption of a spiritual kind. That it, that's not more, but it really gave them physical redemption. They lived through the night, which you couldn't say for the firstborn of each Egyptian household. 
Uh, Darlene, can you say, uh, uh, what would have happened if I were a Hebrew in Egypt and I thought I wouldn't put up the blood? Well, if you didn't have the blood on your doorpost, then the death angel would come to your house just like you were an Egyptian, and the firstborn of the house would die. So if I really don't have the blood, I can't count on salvation. The death angel's orders evidently were to kill in the household without the blood. And so he did. And it wasn't that they were saved because they were Jewish, but because they had the blood. Okay? Now, uh, to go on, the second feast, uh, let's give it to Tracy. I want to get your suit on camera, Tracy. You never dressed that way coming to class. <laughs> the second feast is unleavened bread. Okay, unleavened bread. And when is it? It occurs on the 15th of Nisan, the very next day it starts, and it's a week-long feast. So if I put uh, 15 Nisan, I'll go through the 21st. That would cover seven different days. Okay. And what was the major observance that they did uh, on unleavened bread? Well, on unleavened bread, the week of unleavened bread, they purged their house of all leaven, and leaven represented sin, and this was symbolic of the holy walk and the broken body of our Lord. Okay, that's in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they had to go the seven days eating unleavened bread. And this pertains a little bit to our uh, Lenten season, you might say, which is more of a modern invention, but we give up something. Uh, to remind us of the Lord in our lives. And so they did for seven days the unleavened bread. Now I want to come back to the symbols of each feast. Uh, uh, let's give it to Hetty. And uh, in the New Testament, what happened on Passover in our Lord's ministry? Yeah, he was crucified. He sure was. you got to say it into that. Then the folks out in California can hear you. <laughs> uh, he was crucified on Passover and not some other day, which is, uh, uh, makes, makes us make the connection that it was his blood that provides salvation, just as it was the blood of the Lamb in Egypt. And then, on unleavened bread, what happened to him? He was, uh, unleavened bread, he died. Well, he died on that day, uh -huh. and then he was buried. Buried. Um, uh, and, and that's the part I stress because he said, this bread mm -hmm. is my body. We have a table here with a symbol for each feast. And we might get up a piece of this unleavened bread. Uh, you don't see it every day. You shouldn't see it every day. It's specified for this particular season. Although they can eat it year-round, they may not eat leavened bread on the, the Passover and unleavened bread season, those eight days. And this is what it looks like. The Lord said, this is my body, and it's uh, remarkably like his body. It has no leaven in it, no sin. It has stripes. By his stripes are we healed. And it's pierced with holes. If we got in real close on it, you could see rows of holes, just like a, a soda cracker has got little holes in it, so it'll bake through. Uh, they shall look upon me whom they've pierced. Uh, by his stripes are we healed. Uh, very much a, a picture of our Lord. They ate this for the seven days. It's flat. It's not the tastiest bread in the world. They knew how to make sweet, fluffy, white bread like we do and rye breads of all kinds uh, that tasted very good. But uh, this bread is rather plain. Uh, what's in it? Who's, uh, who can give me? Wayne, do you know the ingredients of unleavened bread? Flour and water. That's it. 
<laughs> that is it. Uh, if you put salt in it or if you put anything else, you adulterate this thing. And this is, a, a, is, is sinlessness, is what it means. We also had symbols here of uh, Passover, of course, the, uh, the wine cup, which is, which is your prime symbol. And the wonderful little Passover plate with its divisions for putting the bitter herbs and the, uh, uh, the egg and the, the various signs. We, we've had Passover on the show before and, and showed these things. Uh, now, to come to the third feast, let's say, well, let's put a symbol over here. I like his body since he said, this bread is my body. And since his body was put into the earth on unleavened bread. Uh, it's an interesting question that's been asked for years. Let me put it to Bill. Uh, pass the mic back to Bill if we can. You're going to be a preacher real, real soon, as I understand. <laughs> uh, uh, Bill's been, been called to preach, and, and uh, may somebody may ask him, how did the Lord get off the cross, or why did he get off the cross in just six hours? It seemed that the very day he was crucified, he was already dead, and yet crucifixion many times w took three days. That was its point. Well, he had another feast that he had to keep, was uh, first fruits. Well, simply that. Well, no, well, unleavened he, he bread. Was, you mean unleavened bread. He was crucified on Passover, and unleavened bread comes the next evening. These start at moonrise in the evening. So it's the night of the 14th, he sat down with his disciples, and he ate the Passover. And he was crucified at 9 o'clock the following morning. And the night then when the 15th started, he had a feast to keep. And he never missed one. And that is the simple answer to how he was off the cross. He had an appointment to keep, and it's a case of a dead man arranging his own burial. In truth. All right, now, uh, coming to the next feast, let's give it to Sylvia. What will we have the third feast be, Sylvia? third feast is first fruits. First fruits. And it's the first Sunday of the week of unleavened bread. Okay, first fruits, and it comes during the week of unleavened bread. She is right on whatever day happens to be Sunday. How do we know? What does the scripture say? Uh, does it say Sunday? It says on the morrow after the Sabbath. On the morrow after the Sabbath. And what day is the Sabbath? Saturday? Yes. We must remember for purposes of, of computing prophecy and times in the Bible and so on, Saturday is the Sabbath. Sunday is never the Sabbath. If you don't believe me, I suppose you can write me letters and so on. Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's the anniversary, of course, of the resurrection of, of, of Palm Sunday when the Lord rode the donkey into Jerusalem. Uh, there's, there's many attractive things about Sunday, but Saturday is the Sabbath. And if we don't compute that, we won't, we won't get this right. But in fact, it gives the morrow after the Sabbath, during the week of unleavened bread, as the day of first fruits. What did they do uh, that day, Sylvia? How did they observe first fruits? Okay, they took, they took the first fruits of the land since they'd come into Israel. It was kind of desolate when they left it. And when they came back, there was all this stuff. And so they gathered up all the first fruits and they took it to the priest. And they said, this is a thank you to God. Thanks for, you know, making the land prosperous again. And 
Thanks for yeah. giving us all this. Sure. Bill, what was the condition of Israel when they uh, uh, left? Remember when Jacob and there were only 70 Israelites when they left, back when Joseph was vice pharaoh of Egypt and his brothers, and, and finally Jacob, who reluctantly left Israel. What was the condition of, it was called Canaan then, when they left? Well, they'd had years of famine in the land. It would not support 70 people. How many people do you suppose came back in the Exodus? Well, there was well over a million people. Oh, I'm sure. And, and when they came back, the land would now support that number. It wouldn't support 70 before it was considered, I guess, a worthless desert. And now when they came back, it had fruits. And in the spring, we have first fruits. In April, we have and we, our symbol of that is a familiar one. You can see the world around, the little pussy willow which uh, grows these little puffs in the spring. And in the winter, it's just a bare branch. It's like a resurrection every spring. You can't tell one bare branch from another in the winter. Uh, in other words, you can't tell which is alive and which is dead until the spring comes. And then one will bear fruits and, uh, and one will not. The dead one will not. God looks down on all the graves and all the tombs of the whole world, of which we have lots because a lot of people have lived and died. But he knows which ones will bear fruit come the resurrection and which ones will just stay as they are. So uh, first fruits, what happened? Let's give the mic back to Tracy. What happened that day then in our Lord's ministry? He was crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, and the following Sunday. He rose again from the grave. That was the day of the resurrection. It's most significant. Uh, not just any day, but the day of first fruits. Uh, what else happened peculiar on that day? I'm going to write resurrection here. Do you remember the passage about the people rose and were seen in Jerusalem? Uh, there were other tombs opened in Jerusalem after his resurrection and there were people seen by the village people, the townspeople. Yeah. What do, what do you suppose that was all about? Well, I think it was a promise of further resurrections to come and the promise of our resurrection. And those were the first fruits after Christ Jesus. Yes. The, uh, uh, you see, on first fruits, the farmers were supposed to bring in their crops. But Jesus is not a farmer who raises crops. He raises people. So he raised a few. <laughs> that was perfectly appropriate in keeping the feast and gave that small offering to the Father. That was only a prediction of much uh, bigger and better things to come. All right, now, have we got some New Testament scripture, let's say for uh, resurrection, first fruits? How about you, Tracy? Put you on the spot. Okay, there's several New Testament scriptures for resurrection and first fruits. Um, there's several good passages in Romans. It has to do with uh, the Lord's resurrection. Yes, indeed. How about, uh, you got it, Jane. First Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Okay, can you quote it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> also, First Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. All right, All, both are about the rapture. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, she's quite right. We, we all recognize it when we hear it. Uh, the, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trump of God, and we'll all rise. And that's our resurrection. Then 1 Corinthians 15, 51 uh, and 52, uh, we shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. 
Yeah, at the last Trump. Uh, then this is this is the point: is we will get a different kind of resurrection than you get from uh, promised resurrections in Hinduism or from Reverend Moon or or whatever. There's lots of resurrections around. I'm afraid that uh, uh, the folks who follow Jim Jones were counting on some kind of resurrection. I don't see why they would drink that Kool-Aid if they didn't think Jim could deliver them to a better place. But the resurrection we get is the one where you come back as who you are, uh, glorified. In other words, when they saw Jesus after his resurrection, after that stunning day of first fruits when they found that empty tomb, they saw that it was Jesus. He was a little different. There must have been some reason why Thomas could argue it's not the same man. Uh, uh, he, he wanted to put his fingers into the Lord's wounds and, and to say, you know, that it's, it's not the Jesus we know and love after only uh, three days' absence. He must have looked quite different. But uh, uh, it was him, and then they, they finally verified that. So it, it, the others didn't say it's not him. So he must have looked very like him, but somewhat different. And that's what we want in a resurrection. We don't want reincarnation. We don't want to come back as a frog or a drop of water or <laughs> a west wind or something of that kind <laughs> or the planet Saturn. We want to come back as who we are. And uh, that's the kind of resurrection we get. And that's the kind uh, that the Lord got. Now, they brought their first fruits offering uh, at this point, And then these three feasts took place within an eight-day period. Now, then what happened next, Hetty? Uh, somebody in the Old Testament is worshiping, and he, does, he comes to Jerusalem. Let's say he lives in far north Galilee, or even across the seas, uh, in Libya or in Rome, because they came long distances. Uh, after these eight days, they would probably leave Jerusalem again. And when would they return? Pentecost. At Pentecost. Mm -hmm. and, and how shall I put Pentecost on here? You mean when? Yeah. Uh, 50 days after first fruit? 50 days after first fruits. Right from that Sunday, I'll come down here, 50 days, and I'll have my fourth feast called in Hebrew, Shavuot, which means weeks or uh, in Greek, a Pentecost, 50 days. And uh, it usually occurs at the beginning of the month of what? Who knows? Billy? Uh, no. <laughs> nice guess, but I think you're after trumpets. Sivan. <laughs> right. In Hebrew? Sivan. Sivan. She's not Jewish. She remembers the Hebrew. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's Sivan would be June. And uh, uh, so I'm going to put, well, I don't know what day of Sivan. Why can't I say just what day, uh, Darlene? It's variable because um, first fruits is variable. You're never sure what day that Sunday will fall. And since that's your count point, you count down, and the day is variable. Right. It slides back and forth. This Sunday could have been early in the week on the 16th. That'll move uh, Pentecost forward. Or it could have been late on the 21st. That'll move Pentecost down a little. It's based on the resurrection. The coming of the Holy Spirit was based on the exact time of our Lord's resurrection. Now, if the point of first fruits was to bring in a small harvest, the things that come in the spring, 
some nuts come, some, uh, some uh, barley comes, uh, then what was the point uh, of Pentecost, Jane? More uh, harvest. More this harvest. This would be yeah. the summer harvest. And a better harvest, uh, a harvest you could really eat. The first fruits uh, wouldn't make a great meal. <laughs> Mostly flowers, uh, blossoms, buds, nuts. If you were an outdoorsman, you might eat from it. But when we, when we come to Pentecost, now we got wheat. <laughs> now we can make breads and cakes and nourishing things. And this, this will come forth. It's the same, Dallas happens to be on the same latitude with Jerusalem one of the few similarities, and uh, therefore we, we, uh, we also experience three harvests a year. And anybody who has a garden here knows they get early stuff in April, they get some more stuff in June, and they get the big harvest uh, later on in September. So it is a harvest. And, and uh, Jan, what, what did I call on you yet? Yes, <laughs> I didn't want anyone to escape. What, what, <laughs> did I call on you, Wayne? I'm going to start. Well, yes. Okay, we're going to make him recite in a second. <laughs> uh, tell me uh, uh, what the point then of this harvest was and how it differed from first fruits as the Holy Spirit came. Well, on in the New Testament, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples received the Holy Spirit, and on that day, 3,000 souls were saved. Yeah, it's uh, simply the number to start with. 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost in, in the New Testament. Now, does that ring a bell with you, Wayne? All right, then 3,000 people. What's it suggest? Well, the Lord said, I will send you a comforter, and that was the day he sent the Holy Spirit. And so the people were saved. But does the number 3,000 ring any bell with you? Who's got it? All right, give it to uh, Sylvia. Well, in the Old Testament... God killed 3,000 when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. The, uh, when the law came down from Sinai, they were worshiping the golden calf. They couldn't wait. And 3,000 people were killed with God's blessing. The, he didn't like this paganism. The Levites went through the crowd and they took care of it. And I mean, those, those were pretty tough days. God used to kill people uh, for sin. And, and uh, these 3,000 people were killed. But now he returned them exactly 3,000 souls at Pentecost. The letter kills, the Spirit gives life. And so, all right, this finishes our first four feasts. And, and next week we're going we're gonna to have the same setup. We're going to have the same folks back and show you they know the rest of the feast too. Uh, excellent reciters, good Old Testament scholars, as you see. And they are not a bunch of synagogue-trained Jews with beards and black hats. They are the normal student body and auditors of the course at Dallas Baptist College, where I teach the course uh, Christ in the Old Testament. I wanted to tell you that uh, our ministry has this lesson available uh, on films. We have films on Passover and the Seven Feasts, which you can get from the post office box. And, of course, we have our book and tape, The Seven Feasts of Israel. Uh, write to us at uh, Box 12268, Dallas, Texas, 75225. We need a $10 donation if you'd like the book and the tape. You can write to us also for the Levitt letter at the same address. And remember, Sha'alu Shalom Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem.
you think you'll get home safe this weekend? Do you think you'll get